0: This last week while I was, uh, you know, we've been talking about Joseph, so I've been reading a little bit about it and and, and we ran into uh, author and speaker Kyle Edelman's thoughts on it. I just want to give him some credit because he had some really creative ways and I've just kind of adapted a few of those for this message uh, in in portions of it. What we're talking about today is a feeling. It's a feeling you get when you've studied 20 hours for a test uh, that you really want to do well on and you don't get the grade. It's the feeling you get when you've been working out really hard and eating really healthy and you step on the scale and you haven't lost any weight. In fact, you put on a few pounds. It's the feeling you get when you're single and you've been been romantically interested in someone for a while and you feel like the relationship is headed in the right direction only to get friend-zoned. It's the feeling you get when you have a really hard job and you work really hard at it, hoping for a raise and promotion, and you get neither. It's the feeling you get when you walk to the mailbox and there's another shut-off notice. It's the feeling you get when the Browns finally look like they might be good and only to implode once again. Maybe not next year, you know, maybe. It's the feeling you get when your spouse says, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. It's the feeling you get when you've been through a lot of treatment and the test results come back and say the cancer has spread. The word we're talking about today is discouragement. And usually feeling words are often very hard words to define, but this word, this feeling of losing hope, this feeling of losing courage, of losing confidence, it it needs no definition because we've all felt it. We've all experienced it. We've all been in the place, whether in small or big ways, where hope, courage, motivation, and, 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 and strength has slipped away bit by bit to the point where we've had to ask ourselves, how much longer can I hold on? So, how do we break through discouragement in life, which we all are going to face, if not right now, and keep going and live life more fully, more alive, more peacefully, more contented? We all have so many different expectations in life about what life should be like, what we will have someday, what we'll be someday, where we will be in, in any number of areas in our life, and so often that's not where we are in life or what life feels like, those dreams. We've been working our way through Joseph's life. We've already seen how Joseph was given a dream by God about having a great plan for his life, and Joseph starts out with this youthful optimism, and then life happens. And most of us can easily see in Joseph's story if you or anyone you knew went through what Joseph went through, that his circumstances would have chipped away at hope and eventually stolen it, leaving you in a pit of discouragement. His mom dies at age 10. His older half-brothers do all they can to tear him down and finally beat him up and sell him into slavery. Joseph recovers from that, finding success only to be wrongly accused in a place where there was no way to appeal. He couldn't make his case. There was no option for him at all, so he's just thrown in a dungeon. It would be hard not to be embroiled in bitterness and stuck in discouragement. If you were Joseph, slave, now prisoner, if you put your hope in circumstances, you would have plenty of reason to be hopelessly discouraged. So let's jump into the story again. This, this week we're going to be in chapter 40. And it starts off this way. It says sometime later. Now, as we go through this, I want to do There's A couple references to time and language in this text. It's not specific. It says sometime later. But we know that sometime later means from the context of it, not weeks, not months, but years. In the years, he's in this filthy, harsh, uncomfortable conditions of the dungeon. So, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them after they had been in custody for some time. Again, notice the language of time, so this isn't a short time, a day or two, this is a while, we don't know how long, but it's a while, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Isn't that a profound statement? An uncomfortably profound statement? This is such a powerful glimpse into Joseph's faith. He doesn't say, I'm wise, I know, I'm smart, tell me and we'll figure it out, I'll figure it out. No, His thoughts and heart immediately turn toward God, and yet he's willing to confidently step in to mysterious waters that are clearly out of his control, out of anybody's control, simply and clearly trusting God. And God, I think, wants us all to learn to have that kind of faith, for us to be able to step into those mysterious places with him where we don't know the answer, but we still take the step forward to be there with God in that moment. The story goes on. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. So watch Joseph as he dives in and just tells him what God is saying about what this dream means. He says, This is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearers. Three days. It's all going to change. It'll be good with you just three days. Now, don't you love those kinds of dreams where they happen fast and you don't have to wait for them? So Joseph goes on. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And I think he probably said it more like this. Remember me. Get me out of this stinking prison. Remember me. See, the anticipation in this moment is not just the cupbearers. Joseph himself is filled with anticipation that this is God's way out for him. God's way to maybe even possibly get him connected with a pharaoh which might lead to him being an advisor which of the greatest superpower leader of the day Maybe God's dream that he gave him years and years and years ago is coming to pass. So imagine the thoughts and feelings of the baker, the other character that we haven't talked about in the story. He's probably going, hey, my dream is similar. Come on, Joseph, tell me the good news. So the chief baker said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph immediately jumps in. This is what the dream means. The three baskets are three days. And the baker's probably going, yeah, so far so good. Three days, giving a big fist pump, right? Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat your flesh. Just just a little bit of a difference between lifting up the head and lifting off the head, right? I mean, just an important difference though, don't you think? Can you picture the baker in this moment? He starts out going, Hey, what? Are you sure? Oh, crud. That's probably what he went through, right? All in that just split second. The text goes on to say, It all happened just as Joseph said in three days, all done. Imagine... Joseph's anticipation as he sees Pharaoh's guard come into the prison to get the cupbearer and the baker, and Joseph waving goodbye to them, catching the cupbearer's eyes, mouthing to him, Remember me. Right? With a big smile on his face. But then there's verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Can you imagine the level of discouragement in Joseph? must have had in that moment. He's waiting all day, the day they come and get him, expecting good. No one comes the next day, the day after, starting to get frustrated, probably saying, man, the opportunity, it's just right there. It's a sure thing. You can't miss it. What's taking so long? Did you forget? How could you forget? I mean, gosh, God used me to do something amazing and tell you what would happen in three days, and it happened, and I said goodbye, and I'm out. The words remember me to you and smiled at you even. How could you forget? I think sometimes we go through life telling ourselves it could be worse. So we were reminiscing recently with some friends, and the the conversation switched to lessons we learned from our grandparents. One of Wendy's well-intentioned grandparents wanted to help their grandchildren know how good they had it as kids and be more aware of how others had much more difficult situations. So at four years old, they took Wendy, she was four, and her older brother to Oliver Twist, leaving her with nightmares of being orphaned and needing to beg for food. And I remember remember the phrase, give me more, give me more, please. I can't say that. Somebody with an English accent needs to say that. So the next visit with her grandparents, uh, there were two of her cousins there, and they decided to drive them around Minneapolis and St. Paul in the really scary neighborhoods to help give them, and it could be worse, be grateful for what you have in life lesson, right? The problem was the whole time Wendy is remembering Oliver Twist sitting in the back seat of the car at four years old going terrified, thinking her grandparents are going to leave her with the homeless on the street to fend for herself. See, we're taught from an early age to deal with our discouragement by telling ourselves it could be worse. Many of us as parents have done the same things. We've taken our kids out to community service projects because we care about the homeless, but also because we want them to experience and know personally that everyone doesn't have it as nice as we have it. We want their problems to find perspective in it could be worse. Yet, even with the it could be worse lessons that I think every one of us have had, The problem for most of us that we fall into is that we don't compare ourselves to those who have it worse. We compare ourselves to those who have it better than we do. And all that does in our life is amp up the discouragement. Don't you have to wonder, looking at Joseph's life, if he kept telling himself it could be worse? I mean, as resilient as he is, I can't imagine him not saying that. I mean, but you also have to wonder if after being treated so badly by his brothers and beaten and sold into slavery and falsely accused and imprisoned and now forgotten, if this isn't the moment where he says, it can't be worse than this. My brothers have forgotten me. My boss who I served so well forgot me. The cupbearer forgot me. Has God forgotten me? I mean, after all, the dream God gave Joseph, that's a different time, a different land, a a different life from where he's at right now. But it's interesting. What we read in these two short chapters, it's as if the scribe writing this story down anticipates that very discouragement and that question, Has God forgotten me? Four times in these last two chapters that we've dealt with the last couple days, the scribe writes, The Lord was with Joseph. See, I think all of us would be thinking, was God with him when he was beaten and sold into slavery? Was God with him when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison? Was God with Joseph when he did this amazing prophetic feat, interpreting these dreams, and then forgotten in three short days and stranded for another couple years in the dungeon? And the writer wants us to know that yes, yes, even in all of those circumstances, the Lord... Was with him, which is actually our first lesson of breakthrough from discouragement to hope. God is with you regardless of the circumstances. See, we tend to live life letting circumstances dictate to us whether God is actually with us or not but one of the weapons in our life coping arsenal to overcome discouragement is to understand and deeply know that our circumstances aren't the picture of whether God is with you or not. If your circumstances determine God's presence, you will be very, very vulnerable to discouragement. See, I spent some time this last week trying to reflect on this for myself, how I've seen this in my own life, and I had lots of memories come flooding back into my mind of those times in life that seemed darkest, and, and those were actually some of the times where either God showed up in that moment in a, in a really beautiful way, or with twenty twenty hindsight, I look back on them, and I see how good God was to me, even in those difficult times. Years ago, I was working in a place that had great success, and then because of a number of reasons beyond my control, the wheels were falling off and the place was just imploding, just going down the tubes. And in the midst of that, God gave me a dream showing me what was going to happen. And the dream was vividly filled just a couple days later. Now, God showing me that was actually a way that he gave me confidence to face what was next, because what was next felt like defeat professionally, hopelessness professionally. And instead it turned into blessing and promotion, the kind that I could not have seen going through that time. Even in other dark times in my life, as I was reflecting on, on grief and the loss of people I loved and disillusionment, just really difficult times, when God didn't give me a dream in the midst, I looked back on several of those, and every time I looked back at those memories and thought about them, I saw some of the greatest faith and character-shaping moments that I am so eternally grateful for in my life now, but I hated it at the time. See, your circumstances aren't a picture of whether God is with you. God is with you regardless of your circumstances. So when you're discouraged, tell yourself over and over again, in your head, out loud, however you want to tell yourself, God is with me. God has good for me through this. So one of Wendy's favorite things in life is a really good, scary, high roller coaster. If you believe me, I'm going to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Maybe actually more accurate is she is absolutely terrified of anything really high up, and she's just really happy to sit out. So there's been a couple of times in our life where our kids particularly, and my boy has convinced her to try a roller coaster that they said was no big deal. She could handle it. So if you're around our house, especially my boys, you you would quickly learn, although she's a little bit slow to learn this, that Wendy cannot trust the recommendation of roller coasters or action-adventure movies for movie night. So here's what it was like at Disney California in Kings Island. Wendy sits down, the bar comes down, we start to move, and then all you can hear is statements of regret. (laughs) What am I doing? Then Wendy starts to spontaneously, as you start clicking up the track to that really high thing, she starts spontaneously bursting into prayer. (laughs) God, help me! God, be with me! And then you have that moment where you're suspended right before the free fall, and then all the screams. See, Wendy and roller coasters are amazing as a metaphor for life. And fighting the free fall of discouragement in our lives. See, you need to keep telling yourself, declaring that God is with you, that you are going to not just be fine, you're not just going to survive, but you are going to be good because God is with you, which is the second lesson of breakthrough from discouragement to hope. We fight discouragement aggressively with declaration of truth. See, Jesus actually addresses this in a passage that is often misunderstood. It's quite confusing. It's disconcerting to some. It's easily misunderstood because, frankly, it's really difficult to translate into English from the Greek. It's in Matthew 11, and Jesus says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Now, and if you I don't have time to explain the whole context, Jesus is actually saying this in the context of trying to be enigmatic because they're trying to set a political trap for him, but but here's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. When he says that, he says it, it's actually a reference to how aggressively motivated the crowds are about coming to Jesus the word Jesus uses that's translated violence connotes this eager rush of the people to come to Jesus. And in context, it's the eager rush of the people to make him into the Messiah, the king that they want him to be, the political savior that they want him to be. They just want Jesus to be the deliverer, the leader of the rebellion that does for them what they want done for them and gives them what they want. But Jesus counters that and comes back with a second statement. He says, violent people take the kingdom by force. Again, these words that Jesus uses that are translated violent and force portray this picture of this active, aggressive determination to seize and live in whatever you are pursuing. In this case, it is Jesus saying, are you going to pursue the kingdom of God with that kind of assertiveness? Are you going to pursue the hope of me breaking into your reality and changing your reality with that kind of aggressiveness? So, when you lose the job and your search is daunting... You send a resume out after resume. And all the uncertainty, the discouragement assaults your confidence with each and every rejection. Jesus is saying, rise up within, Declare. God provides. God is good. I am gifted by him. And God's got this. Because we fight disillusionment with forceful declaration of truth. See, there's this certain amount of determination, this certain amount of standing up and declaring assertiveness inside of us that God wants to develop in us that results in experience the kingdom of God in our midst. In a sense, this is another way of saying uh, what's been talked about for centuries. It's practicing the presence of God, constantly turning our attention to no matter what's going on, whether mundane, difficult, easy, hard in our life, of declaring God is with us and expecting him to be with us. N.T. Wright is one of the greatest New Testament scholars and theologians of our day. He summarizes Jesus' statement in this passage of the metaphor of violence this way. He says, God doesn't want to force himself on people. So Jesus isn't going to become the earthly king who dictates you must bow down to me. Instead, they have to work it out for themselves. See, not understand, you don't work for your salvation to earn it. That's not what he's saying here. But what he's saying is you have to stand up. You have to accept. You have to step into the love God has already put there for you. The love God is already bringing to you. God isn't going to force things on you. God isn't going to force on you things because that's not loving. Forcing you to do things is dictatorial oppression. God is love. He wants you to own it and he wants you to step into the gift he's given you. So third lesson to help us break through discouragement to hope. God is really, really concerned about what's happening in your life. But even more than that, God is concerned about what is happening in and through us. So do you ever get discouraged listening to the news? I mean, come on, the news you listened to four weeks ago is the same news now. They just piled a few more things on top of it, right? It's, it doesn't change. I mean, before one problem ever gets resolved, another problem comes up. And it happens in our lives as well, right? The, we have one problem at work, and before it gets resolved, another problem comes up. You have one child going through a difficult time, and before you ever get that resolved, the other child starts having a difficult time. You, 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 you work and have this problem in your marriage, and you start to maybe make progress to make that area of your marriage better, and another area starts to struggle before you even get all that done. And mastered. It just never seems to end, does it? There's this decade old story which is so powerful that USA Today actually published about 67 year old Rowena Duplessis. It reads this it says, Rowena Duplessis could be forgiven for having religious doubts. She lost her home in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina only a year after the death of her husband. Last fall, her son committed suicide. Then robbers broke into the trailer that she and her son once shared, which made her afraid to stay there alone. Yet, goes on to say the article, Duplicy says her faith in God has only grown stronger. She says, this is what sustains me. When, it, when it's really bad, you put, you put it in his hands. You do what you're able to do and have faith that he can do the rest. And she says, he's carried me on many days when I couldn't walk myself. It's not my strength. It's the grace of God that keeps me going. And then I want you to hear this really clearly. She says, I just try to do something for somebody each day. Doesn't that sound a lot like Joseph? Joseph just waking up, whether it's, you know, being the favorite in his family or as a slave or in the prison or in the court of pharaoh just seizing whatever opportunity god gives him that day each and every day now now some of this constant difficulty we face in life happens because we're on a mission with god to seek and to save the lost that's what god has given us as part of our mission for every single one of us in this room to bring peace and healing and salvation wherever we go So we're bound to face trouble and discouragement simply because if we're following God, God is going to consistently put us in situations and in people's lives who need breakthrough, who need healing and salvation and are facing trouble. We can see this by implication in Joseph's life. I mean, God puts him in Potiphar's life and and the prison warden's life so that they get to see God's goodness in a new and and beautiful way. He's serving and caring for and bringing success to the lives of other servants and prisoners all this time. And and even more, what we can clearly see even more clearly in the next two weeks in this series is that God is at work all this time. In every circumstance in Joseph's life, he's preparing Joseph's character and experience level so that Joseph can actually handle and succeed well in what God has planned for him. But we can't forget, I mean, nonetheless, there are these 13 long, hard years from the time of the dream through slavery, through false accusations, through years in prison, and then months, if not years, after being forgotten in prison, and only after that very hard, long 13 years is the dream fulfilled. Here's what I think we all know. The longer you carry the weight of discouragement, the heavier it gets. And you reach a point in your life where you think, I I just can't keep doing this. As we were praying for this service before church today, I just, I just felt like God wanted to speak to some of you who you've had such levels of discouragement, such weight you've carried for so long in an area of your life that you just have totally given up on it. Whether it's a given up on a relationship or given up on, on you breaking free in an area of your life or, or whether it's something else, it's a dream God has for you. And I think God wants to breathe hope back into that area for you and allow you to move from discouragement to hope once again. Our final lesson from Joseph to help us break through discouragement to hope is this. It's all going to work out, so wait well. Now, we don't know that Joseph ever said that, but honestly, it's hard to not imagine that he did actually say that, given how he goes from one setback after another to the next and continually just steps up again to the plate and again and again, And walks in God's favor and finds success. I mean, how do you get back up and keep going with what he experienced without thinking that way? How do you have any kind of faith left in God after the experiences Joseph experienced without thinking it's all going to work out? I mean, I'm sure there were days when Joseph didn't feel like saying that. But he still got up and he said it to himself. He just kept on serving. He kept on loving and faithfully seizing whatever opportunity, how big or small, was there to serve, whether it was cleaning the prison latrines or or something more prestigious in the court of Pharaoh. But that phrase, it's all going to work out. It's such a polarizing phrase to most of us when we hear it when we're in a discouraging place and a difficult place in life, that phrase can so easily be received or seen as patronizing, as cliche, and frankly, if someone tells me that when I'm discouraged, it ticks me off. Anybody else? Am I the only one who ever gets ticked off by stuff like that? You see, back when I was working on my master's studying counseling skills, that was a phrase that you were taught never to say to someone else. You never say when somebody's going through a difficult time, I understand. You never say I know what it's like, and you never say it's all going to work out. Because saying those things, you're going, to, you're going to automatically lose that person's interest in even talking with you. You're going to alienate them. Just those phrases, when you try to take care of people going through difficult times, just cause people to turn off. But while you should be careful saying those, the phrase, it's going to be okay to someone else, you do indeed need to be telling yourself, it's going to be Okay. You need to remind yourself of Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good on this side of eternity and on next side of eternity. You see, I think the discouragement happens for us when we begin to become convinced that our worries and our fears are absolutely true. And things are not going to be okay. They're not going to be good. Maybe think of this practically. You've probably experienced this. How many times in your life have you predicted tragedy or really bad consequences from a situation or a decision and it never materialized or at least wasn't anywhere near as bad as you thought it was going to be? I can't tell you how many times in my life I thought things were going to fall apart because of a bad decision or it didn't look like finances were going to hold and everything was going to go down to tubes or a host of other reasons why things were going to melt down, the wheels were going to fall off, and things were going to go really bad. Hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, I predicted that and thought that in life. Yet I can count on a half a hand how many times those predictions born out of discouragement have actually come True, where things really did go badly, and they really did fall apart. And even as I look back on those times that fell apart and went badly, God brought some of the most tremendous opportunity and blessing out of those circumstances, some of the things that I am most grateful for in life, even today. But so often, when we're facing the difficulty, we get stuck asking the when questions. When are things going to work out? When are things going to get better? When will we stop fighting and love each other better again? When will we stop having to go to the hospital? When will we be able to get that raise and that promotion? When will my finances be good enough that we can get everything fixed and be on a solid footing? When? We just ask all these when questions. And that's where discouragement settles in for us, when not yet feels like never. Kyle Eidelman puts it this way. He says, waiting is the hard work of fighting discouragement. And we aren't good at waiting, are we? I mean, what's so bad about rush hour traffic? Other than the crazy drivers, it's the waiting, right? And the crazy drivers are usually the ones that do all crazy stuff because they don't want to wait. So they do foolish stuff. And none of us goes to the grocery store and gets our basket full and walks up to the front checkout lines and says, which line is the longest and the slowest? That's the line I want to be in. I mean, no, no, we've got, every one of us in this room has this system, right? We size up the cashiers and we predict which one is the slowest and which one is the fastest. And then we take time to listen and look at the people in line to find out if anybody in that line is trying to redeem expired coupons or arguing about the price. And then you jockey for position. And if you're with your spouse, this is how you do it. You send your spouse to the second fastest line and you with the cart go to the first fastest line, at least the one you predict that way. And then you watch each other for one minute and whoever's line is faster, you go to that line, right? I mean, we all do that. We don't ever choose to wait because it's in waiting that we fight discouragement. But it's also in waiting in the process that God accomplishes most of his purpose in us. See, what God is doing in you is more important than the destination. God's got the destination, and it's all going to work out. So wait well. So let's just envision this whole room maybe for a second as God's waiting room. Some of you here have been waiting a really, really long time wanting to be married or wanting to have children or wanting to have something else and, and God's 5, 10, 20 years behind schedule for you. And it's really painful. It's really discouraging. Some of you have been waiting a really long time for that job or that promotion. You've been waiting for the right position for years and it just doesn't come up. You've put resumes. You've sent dozens and dozens and dozens of resumes out for jobs. You are well qualified for and nothing yet. Can I just interject a little bit of fun encouragement? Because we've had somebody walking through that. I know of a really awesome, talented individual at Quest who applied in the last year and a half for 102 jobs. Had a number of promising interviews, but over and over again, it just didn't materialize. This last week... The 100th job they applied for came through, and they landed the really good job with a really great group of people in a company that they're really excited about. But it was over a year and a half of really hard work and really difficult lean times for them and their family. I have so much respect for how they walked through their waiting in this process. You see, discouragement comes. It's going to come for every single one of us at some time. But when you're discouraged, remember Joseph. He overcame by not looking at himself, but by looking at God and responding to every opportunity to serve and love well each and every day, regardless of what it was. And in that, Joseph found the courage to persevere and not fall to discouragement. It is in the declarative, God-trusting, persistent waiting, and making the most of every little opportunity while waiting that God does his work in you and me, and he creates in you and me the capacity to live the dream he has for our lives really, really well. So one of my heroes growing up was Arthur Ashe. I was a... I was a tennis player in high school, and he was the first African-American male tennis player to win the U.S. Open and be ranked number one in the world. He also had his ups and downs, not just in his career, but he contracted AIDS from a blood transfusion and and, and then became a famous activist and had the ups and downs with that. he, He talks about it this way. He says, success is a journey. It's not a destination. And the doing is often more important than the outcome. In 1905, there was a young pastor and his new wife. They were the Martins. And the Martins uh, got in the habit of visiting this older lady and her husband named Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. So Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for close to 20 years by this time, by then, and, and, and Mr. Doolittle was in, incurably crippled. And so he got to and from work each day uh, living up in upstate New York by rolling himself rain, snow, and shine to work and back each day. They lived in such desperate, difficult circumstances. But one of the reasons the Martins loved to visit the Doolittles so much is because every time they came there to encourage them, they actually walked away inspired and encouraged. So one day, Pastor Martin asked Mrs. Doolittle, he says, why are you always so bright with hopefulness when your life is so difficult? What's your secret to your joy? And Mrs. Doolittle, laying in the bed, her reply was simple. She said, if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. And the beauty of that simple phrase, which is loosely and accurately quoting two sayings of Jesus, gripped and inspired Mrs. Martin's heart. As she went home and thought about all the discouragement and all the difficulty and all the challenge she was facing, Mrs. Martin sat down to write a song, and penning her first words, she wrote, why should I feel discouraged? Reminding her of the hope of Jesus, the song she penned as the eye is on the sparrow, and would you allow yourself to be encouraged in your heart as the same as it did the author 114 years ago as Tiana sings it.
1: why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? Why I'm happy I sing Oh become
0: if the discouragement you're facing has caused you to stop movement toward what you hope for, I want you to ask God this week to give you one step, one way you can just stand up this week and you can seize an opportunity. Just take one simple step in that direction of that dream again. For some of you, maybe, maybe what that looks like to start resisting discouragement today is simply just... Declaring God's promise over the areas of your life where you have lost hope. To wake up in the morning, to go to bed every evening, and declaring God's promises over those areas of your life that you're discouraged in. Declaring God is with me. God is with me. God will bring good to pass in my life. God will answer these prayers for me and my family. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, thank you that you give us stories from people like Joseph. That we get to see their whole life in a snapshot and and we can relate to the discouragement, even if it was so much more for Joseph than for us, but we also get to see how you bring him through. So that I pray for each one of us who is in this place of discouragement, whatever it is, big or small, that you would come to us and that you would help us break through that you'd help us see how good you are, how much confidence we can have in who you are in our lives. I pray that your presence would come and make yourself known to us this week, that even as we start to declare your promise over our lives, that there would be not just empty words, but there would be a sense of you being with us and a confidence that can come. Lord, just come to us and lead us into the dreams you have for our lives. I pray this goodness and this blessing over every one of us here. And Lord, now as we turn our hearts to you again in in song, would you allow the words from our lips to begin even declaring that worship, that confidence in you, that even now if we're discouraged, this song becomes our step towards you, towards breakthrough, towards your hope in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this
0: week's Sermon Audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.